I'm your inner dream monologue, and you're fast asleep, so I'll be quick. Great job using the Colgate Optic White Overnight Teeth Whitening Pen before bed. When used as directed, it gives you a visibly whiter smile in just seven days. So while I fly and talk to animals, you're removing teeth stains with ease. Sweet dreams. And when you wake up, keep on living life to the brightest. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. The Sour Hour is meant for the serious brewer. The Sour Hour may contain some seriously funkified content. The Sour Hour is not for the faint of heart. So exercise some damn discretion, would you please? Sheesh. And now, here's the Sour Hour with Jay Goodwin. Alright, we're back. Felt like we were just here. <laughs> no. Our scheduling is on it, point. It's wonky. It's either like, man, I haven't seen you in four months. How's it going? <laughs> or it's like, uh, weren't you here three days ago? Yeah, well, we see each other. Yeah. But at the show, yeah. It just seems like we, we go in flurries a little bit. Yeah, and all, and the show blurs together with all the off-air stuff. And yeah, who I don't knows? Know, it feels who knows what we're recording? Totally. <laughs> Gotta be careful. Are these things on? <laughs> no. Alright, is the show started? Yeah, we started? I think we're, oh, okay. yeah, we're cool. good. It's that time. Uh, it's this hour <laughs> hour on the Brewing Network. I'm your host, Jay, here at the Brewing Network Studios in not rainy downtown Concord, which is great. It's raining little, pretty hard in Berkeley when I left. It's a little lull in the storm here. It's been yeah. a f- several days of rain, and now it's uh, just a brief respite, but I'm sure it's right around the corner again. So California is freaking out. Freaking out. No one knows how to drive. Everyone is preparing for mudslides. Speaking of not knowing how to drive, Bebo's here. <laughs> hey, Bev. So rude. Yeah. No, actually, I was just, I'm just teasing, but actually Bevo almost died, and we're glad that she's alive. Twice. Yeah, you Bevo missed the post-Christmas Christmas party that we do for the uh, Brewing Network Studios staff. Yes. Uh, you know, and uh, we've and done fr- it. And friends. And friends. And we did it two years in a row at the Rare Barrel, and we were there a couple nights ago, mm-hmm. partying it up. And, you know, of course, in the service world, the most, you know, busy times in December, and it's hard to, you know, get away for a Saturday, like, you know, your corporate entities. So we, we postponed it until after the first of the year, and then uh, we, we gather first at the Hop Grenade for a few years, and then the last two at the Rare Barrel, and uh, have a good time and exchange gifts and stuff. And But Bevo missed, have you ever missed one before? No, never. Yeah, it felt weird, man. So we we thought about canceling it. That's yeah, right. totally. Yeah. It didn't feel like a party. Is it? What's the point? But uh, yeah, I guess Bevo had some a treacherous trek to try and to try and get there. But yeah, I'm glad you're in one piece. Yeah, I didn't. We didn't make it, but we're fine. Oh, you're alive. You, we're alive. You made it. We didn't make it to the party, but so we like made it through away. life. Yeah, okay. You know, we had we had the room temperature gin ready to go, ready to pour into a, a, a shaker glass, but Bevo was nowhere to be seen. But I could very poorly try to pass off as a glass of water. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's water. It'll keep until next year. So, yeah, it doesn't go That's back. what I hear. 
All right. Uh, great show tonight. Uh, we have Night Shift Brewing. Joe and Matt are going to be joining us, and they're kind enough to send us some beer very quickly, actually. Yeah. So, great job on you guys. It did. It was like two days from the East Coast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah they're out of uh, just outside of Boston and Everett, Mass. You've been there a few times. Yeah. yeah. Oh, great cool. spot. Great spot. Um, yeah, so if you want to email us with feedback, scott at thebrewingnetwork.com, jay at thebrewingnetwork.com. We are live on video, thebrewingnetwork.com slash TV. You can listen live on the Brewing Network app. Just search BM Mobile in your search bars. Subscribe to the podcast and leave feedback. We love hearing from you. So, uh, you know, we appreciate all the people who give us the five stars uh, and then click out of it. But we love the little responses. So when you have a chance... Tell us what you're thinking through that, too. Absolutely. Ratings and reviews make a, a big difference for growing the show. So thank you to all. Absolutely. Uh, last show, we had our good friend, Dr. Lambic, talking about his new brewery, finally, Mellow Mink Brewing out in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. So that was great fun, great beers, and uh, just great to hear from him. You know, I think he's been, you know, in, in a bunker, essentially, trying to get this thing started up. But nice to see he's on the other side and, and doing great things. Absolutely. It takes, man, it just takes so much out of you, especially that crunch time, like those last, I mean, it's all crunch time, but especially like those last few months, mm-hmm. everything seems like you're just putting on the finishing touches, but then like two months goes by and there's still more finish. You're just like pushing toward that finish line where you can finally open. Oh, yeah. And then the real work starts, mm-hmm. you know, then you really <laughs> got to keep the beers coming. You got to, you know. Always, uh, you know, you're you're familiar with this. Always try to increase production, get your supply straight away. So, I mean, yeah, he's out the other side, but like, you know, now the real work starts. Yeah, it's actually it's the best right after that, like first batch, first weekend of being open kind of thing. Where, you know, it's one thing to get the mad rush to get open. You're like, oh wow, we're actually we made money today. Actually, probably lost money overall, but right, but revenue came in. Yeah, revenue was coming in, and then once it's like okay. Well, now that now that's over, you can relax a little bit. But then, yeah, you're right. The real work begins. So great to hear from Matt. And then updates since the last show. Don't really have any because it's just a few weeks ago. Well, how was your your Christmas and your New Year's? You went to uh, London. Christmas was cool. Yeah, I went to London. Uh, that was great. <clears throat> Excuse me. I got a little uh, under the weather there, mm. and uh, that was unfortunate. But had a good time. Went to uh, English Premier League match. Saw t- Tottenham Hotspur at Wembley. Win. Yeah, at Wembley. That was cool. Hit a few pubs, but yeah, the the sickness really took the wind oh, out of my sails a little bit. But it, you know, it was fun. I had some good time with uh, with family, and then but it did last until New Year's. So I was just like sleeping on New Year's. It's a bummer. So. That's well, right. Hopefully, are we coming out the other side of it now? Oh, yeah. Because we're ready for uh, cards cards in the air at cards. 6 p.m. tonight? Yep. Cool. We're going. <laughs> now, I don't know. I mean, everyone knows the uh, the warm beer tropes. Was, is there sure. any? Is there a sour scene to be spoken of? Like, are there breweries out there doing sours? Yeah, there are. You know, I think in the last show, we got actually an email from someone who was doing, you might recall, like a mobile cool ship in, yeah. in the U.K. Yeah. And I've had a few other English breweries beers that are doing bread and sour beer. There was um, some kettle sours that I just saw on tap at like random pubs really? and like oh, that's had, cool. like, tart IPA, and I was like, "Wow, Whoa. this is awesome!" Nice. But I mean, of course, England is like a a pretty mature uh, beer market. Now I think they've had <laughs> a lot of the same beers and types of beers for a very long time. However, they have this long tradition with beer, and beer culture is very good there. So I think. As they've uh, gotten into these, I guess, I mean, they, none of them are really American styles. 
nothing's really American style. It's all borrowed from somewhere else. But <laughs> yeah. you know, they're they're making American style IPA in air quotes, and a lot more of the more innovative styles that we have coming out. They're taking to that very quickly. So I think it's it's a great scene. Plus, I love English cask beer. It's so good. It is good. It's awesome. And just the pub culture, I love that too. So great place. Now you're back, and it's the new year, 2019. Yeah. So what? Well, okay, well, first of all, do you have any resolutions? You make a New Year's resolution, <laughs> Be- beer or not beer related? No. no. I, I'm not a big resolution no? person. Um, usually they just come throughout the year, like, you know, after a late night. <laughs> I resolve <laughs> to finish this pack of cigarettes for sure. <laughs> what about you, Vivi? You got New Year's resolutions? No, I don't make them either, but I also read that if you do make them, it is you're more likely to achieve them if you don't tell people what they are. Mm, it's like a wish. You can't tell what the wish is. Otherwise, it won't come true. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I, I would think <laughs> it would be the opposite, but that's interesting. Yeah, right. I would think so, too. You like Because now you're accountable to these people that know what you're supposed to be doing, mm-hmm. but it doesn't work that way. Well, right. Because, but uh, the, the thought process behind the, the article I was reading, I guess, is because, let's say, I want to lose weight. So... I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm really, I'm exercising like every day this week or this, this, that's my goal. And you, somebody tells you like, oh, that's really great. So you already get that accolade. Uh, Okay. So rather than like staggering it and like not mentioning it and having it come forth sort of organically, I don't know more. You're more likely to achieve it. I can see that. What I read. You guys don't even know, but I'm working on becoming more handsome. I didn't want to mention it just there because you would have said how handsome I am. Now that you have said it, I feel like you're going to have a hard time becoming more handsome. You're going to have a hard time anyway. Facebook podcasting. There's nowhere to go but up, Evo. (laughs) That's what everybody keeps saying. (laughs) Yeah. You know, back to your kind of initial question. We have big things going on at the Rare Barrel. I'd say we're doing a lot of. New styles and new packaging formats and stuff. You know, I think if you know our beer, you know that we're, I mean, I would say doing a really good job with our niche. But we want to apply our ability to deliver high-quality beer to a few other things. And we're going to, you know, stretch our legs out a little bit. For example, uh, one project we're working on right now is our, our Tart IPA project. And... That's been going great, but as we make this uh, IPA, you know, we have we basically brew, you know, a standard IPA and blend barrel aged sour beer into it towards the end of the process. And along the way, it's like we have this great IPA, and we're like, wow, this is awesome. We have guest beers on tap at the rare barrel, and so we're able to compare it to other people's beers, and we're like, hey, you know, this holds up. And so we actually just started serving that on its own at the brewery, so just an IPA, which is pretty cool. I mean, it's the, just, the pre-blended, yeah, just like, IPA. It's like a cool component that we can put on tap. Sure. Um, is it called Rare Barrel IPA? I think it's TRB Hazy IPA. Oh, that's weird. Like oh, that. so it's a hazy IPA. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then some of it goes to oak barrels, where it gets introduced to a mixed culture. So that's like a barrel-aged IPA. And then we have, so 100% barrel-aged IPA, and then we have just a sour beer component that's been barrel-aged that comes into the fresh IPA as well. So right now we have tart IPA and IPA, both versions on tap at the rare barrel. So it's kind of cool, cool new stuff like that. What was the reasoning behind making the base a hazy IPA? I don't know. You'd have to ask Tommy. Okay. Tommy, <laughs> Man- Tommy our seller manager, probably That's my that lackey. Decision. I don't know. Uh, I like West Coast IPA, but I mean... It's funny now when you go out and you get an IPA, it doesn't even have to say hazy anymore. I would just say that 
and maybe this is just in the Bay Area or more like craft focused places, but IPAs I get, I just expect it to be hazy hmm. instead of clear. It's that, yeah, it's that uh, saturated. Like, yeah, it is, certainly is in the Bay Area. Like, that's the thing. I like West Coast That's, the, IPA, that's the default now. Yeah. My lay brain would make this assumption a hazy IPA would be a better base if you were going to go sour IPA. You know, it already kind of has that citrusy, orange juicy, like more components that would lend itself to a souring or a blend of yeah. an acidic whatever. Do you think that's fair to say? I think so. I think maybe the hop selection goes along with that too, because maybe more of the fruity hops are going into the hazy IPAs mm-hmm. and more of the dank hops is kind of like a West Coast thing. Mm-hmm. That might be a way uh, over generalization, but yeah, I agree. I think the sour undertones really will complement the fruitier hops and the fruitiness of fruity esters of the hazy IPA styles. Sure. Yeah. It's all, it's all exciting stuff. And we're definitely looking forward to branching out more and sharing that with everybody. So it's very cool. Uh, I, I do have to share one uh, rare barrel related tidbit from the uh, brewing network, greater studio staff <laughs> post Christmas, Christmas party. Uh, you guys were very generous, of course, in, in giving, you know, in, in lending us the space, but uh, even more generous in dipping into the cellar mm-hmm. and pulling out some bottles that uh, very infrequently see the light of day. And we did get a little hit of the pH one, mm-hmm. the bottled version of pH one, which was just the single barrel what came out of ph1 and was bottled and man was there just how many cases was that run oh man just, just a few a few hundred bottles yeah a few hundred bottles so very, very obviously limited supply it's just one barrel and uh man you know i we were saying this as we were standing around tasting it, and it's just it it's so complex and so beautiful and obviously you guys you did a great job with it you still have to handle the barrel properly it's not mm-hmm. it's not magic you know but of course you guys it are very or or it just <laughs> might be but of course you in your very capable hands the beer that came out of there was was clean and layered and complex and it's it's so hard to believe that that's not a blended beer i was saying like it's so hard to live up to hype like that you know when you have so much mystique the storied nature of ph1 it would be so easy like having a movie built up and it's so good it's so good and then you go see it and you're like i don't know it was fine i guess because your expectations are so inflated right so i just have to say thanks for sharing that and man man that's just something special and peter bucher is lucky to have that thing back in his life yeah that's awesome yeah i can't can't wait we've uh, been doing a little beer swapping with peter so we get to try kind of what's what's lately coming out of the barrel as well so it's been a fun journey to be on, Man. and yeah, happy that we could bottle some of the journey up into a beer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so good. God dang, so good. All right, should we... Oh, wait, the other way. I have to share oh, one yeah. other thing. You, you also gave us some of these special bottles, you know, from the Ambassadors Club and stuff to um, to give away as part of, uh, you know, we did a raffle for, for everybody. And uh, at one point, um, Aaron, um, bartender Aaron, uh, won a bottle. I believe it was Cherry Home Sour Home. And this is like, you know, Black Label, Wax Seal, Ambassadors Club beer. I mean, it's, it's special stuff. And Aaron gets up there after his number's called, and he, like, you know, proudly lifts the bottle in the air like the Statue of Liberty and then proceeds. <laughs> to drop the bottle on the concrete floor <laughs> and it sprays everywhere it's, it, it shot now the bottle didn't break but the top popped off uh, and yeah. the spray must have gone 50 feet i mean it was really impressive it was a geyser and then of course you know the whole room is like oh 
you know, and then and then we insisted we everyone started chanting chug it. So he had to pick up the foam laden bottle that had the rest of whatever in it and finish yeah. the rest of it off. But uh, that was amusing too. So uh, of all of the reverence and 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 you know <laughs> delicate treatment we give to some of these really special beers, then there's the other side yep. of just spiking on the cement floor. Yeah, still gotta be fun. <laughs> good times. All right, should we get to a break? Yeah. Before we do that, I just wanted to say. Listen to other great band shows like Bruce Strong, Dr. Homebrew, Brewing with Style, Heads and Tails, Shine Runner, Entre Cervezas, Hop and Brew School, mm-hmm. and... All right, should we get to a break yes, and then please. bring the night shift guys on? Yes, sir. Cool, we'll be right back on the Sour Hour. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. For nearly 40 years, one organization has had your back. The American Homebrewers Association. Are you a member? (laughs) Why not? Join the more than 40,000 brewers who enjoy all the American Homebrewers Association has to offer. Like Zymergy Magazine, in print and online, plus the Zymergy app. Zymergy is the leading publication for amateur brewers around the world. Supporters also get member deals at their local breweries, bars, and homebrew shops. These alone quickly pay for your membership. You'll also get great member-only resources at homebrewersassociation.org and access to AHA events like the National Homebrewers Conference and the National Homebrew Competition. The American Homebrewers Association promotes the hobby of homebrewing, protects the interests of homebrewers, and brings beer lovers together become a member today it costs less than a batch of beer and gives back so much more visit homebrewersassociation.org this is Corey king from side project brewing you're listening to the sour hour on the brewing network if you want to drink some real sour beer skip for a barrel and come on over here guys we're back Corey always talking shit <laughs> Skip the rare barrel. Uh, it's okay. I always talk shit back to you. Love, Corey. <laughs> Speaking of Corey, we had our... Uh, you tried some of our new Side Project collab beer. That's that is, just coming out now. That is what inspired me to play that. Yes. Um, that was incredibly good, too. Was it what? Peach and cinnamon? What white was it peach, there? white nectarine. There you go. Yeah, oh, great so good. Yeah, really cool. Excited for that to come it's out. It's a long time in coming, that project. Mm-hmm. And you guys must have talked about a collab. I mean, geez, it's been five, four years, whatever, since they were on the show. How yeah. come it took so long? Just travel schedules. Um, wanted to do it when they were out here. So we did it, I believe it was right before or right after Firestone Walker, which is where I think that clip is from because, uh, yes. you know, where we where we serve beer at the yeah, same exactly. place. Exactly. Yep. yep. <laughs> it's probably right before or right after I kicked his ass in Cornwall, but <laughs> I can't remember. <laughs> yeah. And then that was the one where he was surrounded by like 12 beautiful women in his booth, right? Was that, was that Corey? I'm pretty sure I remember going up there and it was like nine beautiful women and Corey at the booth. And I was like... This man has figured out life. Yeah, all the, <laughs> everyone who works at Side Project is totally awesome, and we're we're great friends with all them. So it was cool to finally follow through with the collab. Speaking of collaborators, Scott, hmm. before we bring on the night shift, guys, I want to thank a couple of our great sponsors, like. 
The Wine and Hop Shop, wineandhop.com, locally owned and operated for over 40 years. Most items ship within 24 hours. BN listeners get a flat $8 shipping rate on orders under 25 pounds and are BN shipping the notes field of the shopping cart. The discount will be taken off after checkout. Madison residents, who are all happy that the bear is lost, order your homebrew supplies. <laughs> Online at wineandhop.com and pick them up at Working Draft Beer Company, located on Wilson Street, right across from Central Park. We'll waive the shipping and give you half off your first beer. Wine and Hop Shop, wineandhop.com. All right, let's get into it with Joe Mashburn and Matt Eshelman from Night Shift Brewing. Are you guys there? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Confident start. Yeah, it's about yeah. time, dude. Awesome. Well, good to hear from you guys, and uh, great to finally have you on the show. And thanks for sending out all this beer, this great beer on such short notice. Really appreciate it. I tried really hard to drink all of it before we could get to the air, but uh, you sent so much I couldn't do it. Yeah, that was, that was definitely the tactical maneuver to send that much. <laughs> awesome. Well, why don't we start here, uh, Joe and Matt. Why don't you tell us uh, what your guys... There is Thanks, one of them. <laughs> this is a golden Weiss I just opened. Uh, what are your uh, current titles and responsibilities there at Night Shift? This is Joe. I'm the head brewer here at Night Shift. A lot of production planning, employee management, recipe development, though, that is uh, slowly becoming less and less as the brewery grows. Yeah, other than that, also pseudo repair person. <laughs> awesome. uh, I'm Matt, I'm the quality manager and uh, I oversee our lab team, and I'm the basically the resident nerd and wet blanket when it comes to food safety. <laughs> we can't do this. You can't do that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, Joe, I mean, we've uh, we've met a, a few times, and I've had your beer over the years. Tell us a little bit about you know what Night Shift was when it started, and and how it's evolved into what it is today. Because I think things have changed uh, a little bit over the years. Yeah. So you know the original plan uh, night shift started in it really producing beer in 2013 and the original plan was really not to do uh, IPA so we kind of came out of the gate with a Berliner Weiss in our lineup a bunch of different Belgian beers a bunch of a little bit more off the wall beers we had a uh, like a three yeast fermented Belgian beer with vanilla beans and things like that so kind of started off a little bit more down that road and now uh, we've moved more into the IPA IPA realm and we're still doing the Berliners, but the uh, the Belgian beers have kind of trailed off. So that's kind of been the the Berliners have kind of been the uh, standby. Is that because of they weren't moving as quickly, or is it just brewer preference? Uh, honestly, this was something that we the IPAs were really something that we wanted to explore, and all of a sudden we we were kind of seeing a, a positive reaction from those, and those have kind of taken over due to demand forces. Gotcha. Well, we have this, uh, the Golden Weiss in our glasses right now, and this is in a can, but it also says mixed fermentation sour ale. So how would you, is this a Berliner style or how would you describe what this beer is? So we call all of our canned sours just Weiss beers, uh, internally we, you know, for, to nitpick it. Um, but, uh, essentially what we're doing is kind of the highest level, and we can get into it more in a second, is knocking out into a fermenter warm, having a lactobacillus-only environment for the first 12 or 24 hours, dropping the temperature, adding our brewer's yeast and our, our oxygen, and then fermenting out from there. So we do see some additional pH reduction, but it's much slower 
kind of after we drop the temperature, but we're not bringing it back into the kettle. Uh, we're not getting rid of the, the lactobacillus in any, in any way throughout the process. So these are all canned. We actually have a separate canning line for our Weiss series packaging live cultures. Awesome. Just started to write down questions. I have so many questions about this beer, and it's great, by the way. But uh, you answered a few of them as you, as you were uh, as I was writing them down. One that came up is it, when you guys are looking for the target acidity, or you you know you mentioned twelve to twenty four hours with the lactobacillus culture. Is that strictly a time thing, or do you guys go by like pH or titratable acidity targets to know when it's uh, done? Yeah, it's actually uh, pH driven. We've just found that it it almost invariably falls within that window with the uh the lactobacillus that we're using which we we don't have a house culture for we use commercial lactobacillus strain but uh it, it really drops that ph to the to the range that we want it to be at what strain are you using and then what's what's the temperature you say you know you know you knock out hot but you know i know some strains are kind of more sensitive than others or, or need a little hotter or a little cooler what are you sure. guys experiencing uh so we're actually using the the uh lalamand lalamand Sour pitch? Yeah, sour pitch, uh, which is actually a dry lactobacillus. Mm -hmm. It is super reliable, pretty much it does exactly what we need it to every time we pitch it. Again, we're pitching it we're pitching it dry, we're not rehydrating, we're not doing anything like that, so just right into the fermenter. The temp we knock out at is around ninety eight to hundred degrees uh, into the fermenter and we just have our glycol off to make sure it doesn't accidentally drop that temperature. And it, and it works really well. We also add uh, CO2 through the entire knockout um, through our oxygen stone right after our heat exchanger on the brew house. So we try to get the fermenter to be as much of a oxygen-free environment as possible to try to create uh, really just like the acidity that we're looking for. And uh, back to your other point, we actually uh, we don't measure currently titratable acid, so we're, we're operating only off of pH right now. Mm-hmm. Jay, does it surprise you that the yeast is consistent and reliable as described like that when it's you know not rehydrated just sort of as is well i mean first off not to pick nits but bacteria technically you know because we're talking about just a lactobacillus mm, okay environment and i don't know i've not i've not used except to grow up a starter i haven't used any type of like dried lactobacillus like you can get like the plantarum pills like the probiotic pills and stuff a lot of home brewers use that I'm curious to see what your guys like. What what is like a pitch rate when it comes to that? What what's the batch size and how many of like the the Lalamond? I'm sure they're in like maybe like 500 gram packs or something like that. How many of those do you need to use for something like this? Yeah, we typically uh, we're typically doing about 40 barrels, uh, and actually the Lalamonds I think are like 250 gram packs. So what we found is we started just to be conservative. We wanted to kind of keep our souring to be roughly in the same time frame, just for scheduling purposes. We started high. We started doing, I think, around first one was two bricks. Uh, we realized, you know, it soured really quickly. And so we, we so we'll work with just one. And so we found that one, like, 250-gram uh, pack gives us good souring, consistent flavor profiles. Um, so that's, that's, that's pretty much our process. Depending, we've noticed certain things will affect the ability of the um, lactobacillus to sour. So occasionally we'll have to add in more we found that salt can play a negative role in their ability to sour like na nacl not not normal brewer salt and then we also had one time we brewed it uh, berliner right after uh, one of our double ipas 
and we just got poor souring. So we realized, or at least our working theory now is that there's some leftover um, IBUs in our heat X that caused that um, uh, lactobacillus to just not be able to sour. So, you know, in those cases, uh, we've made process changes, but we'll, we'll add in more bricks if, if we don't, you know, get our souring uh, as the way we want it. Interesting. That seems like a really, I mean, you guys are working out all the kinks and stuff, but really easy and efficient way to get that souring, and especially if you have a tank to dedicate to this process. I mean, I think a lot of people have trouble with kettle sours because, number one, it's going to tie up your, your kettle for a little bit, maybe even several days, and then it's not uh, as easily purgeable as you know your standard fermenter would be. So I think that, that all sounds like you guys have really found a process that works for you and you know the devil's in the details and also in the results i think this beer is really good it's great yeah well thank you i mean it was about it was about two years worth of trial and error and you know halfway through that process we just uh, you know many times we we're getting pretty frustrated and weren't sure what we were doing wrong we, we were considering everything from yogurt to you know as you said um yeah pills uh you know from like uh, health food stores and so, you know, finally we, we just, we ended up, we've probably gone through about three different suppliers of lactobacillus at this point. And we've, you know, we've done a lot of trial and error and, and ultimately we wanted a, a simple process that was fairly repeatable to give us a, the platform with which to kind of play around with and innovate with different flavors and fruits. And the, uh, the other issue that we were trying to address with a more uh, consistent production method was the Berliners of like 2013, early 2014 Berliners that we produced were actually all uh, harvested from tank to tank. And uh, we actually found a significant amount of drift in the amount of acidity. So all of a sudden we had these batches of Berliner that were just like, whoa, way too sour. And so trying to figure out a way where we could create a product, you know, like we talked about before that was a mixed culture, but was very controlled and, and repeatable so that the customer knows what they're buying every time. Uh, that was kind of the background driver between behind why we changed our, our process. Scott, that kind of gets back to your first question, mm-hmm. where it was like, are you surprised at the repeatability? Well, the process they just described, you think would be show greater repeatable results, but bacteria is just so unlike, it's, it's so much less like reproducible results compared to yeast Mm -hmm. that I think it makes sense that like the process is almost like not ideal in a way that inhibits the bacteria from going too far and overproducing acid. I think that makes a lot of sense. Totally. As you describe it, it kind of sounds like from one batch to the next, it was just like, Oh my God, it was suddenly ripping sour. I mean, how, how gradual was that drift? We probably seriously started to notice it maybe totally anecdotally, but we maybe noticed it two batches after it had started to seriously become sour, right? So we didn't we didn't catch it right away. A lot of the Berliner, all of the Berliners we make, actually except for Golden Weiss, have a lot of fruit in them, uh, which kind of helps to, for better or for worse, like mask that drift because you all of a sudden you've got this jam character, you've got the peach character, right? Whatever it is. So all of a sudden we were drinking one out of a sample port and we were like, wow, this is way too aggressive for what we wanted it to be. And then we had, we, we really had trouble kind of restarting that program. We had this culture we really liked. It drifted on us. We said, oh, we'll do the same thing we did last time. And it did not work out. So that's, that's where this process came from. Yeah. One of the biggest challenges with this was scaling it. So when we were 
you know, when I first started, we were operating off of, you know, our largest fermenters were seven barrels, and then we started getting 20s and, and 40s and 60s, and, and the, the main challenge with these Berliners was, you know, doing it consistently on a, on a larger volume, so 20 barrels and above. And so that was where a lot of the, the pullback came from for that one year where we were doing a lot of internal R&D and then trying to find, again, you know, a process that was repeatable and that we could count on so that, you know, we weren't, you know, wasting product or time just waiting for these things to sour because sometimes they just wouldn't go. And, you know, we had to do a lot of back to basics to figure out what was going on. Yeah, well, you guys definitely figured this out. This is a great beer. Um, I want to get us to a break so we can open some more great beer. But before we do, can I ask a question of all of us? This question and all questions are brought to you and us by Dr. Lambic and his team at SourBeerBlog.com. Check out the articles on SourBeerBlog for a great written resource devoted to teaching you how to brew and blend sour beer at home, which includes kind of his own version of this knockout hot to a fermenter with lactobacillus kind of process and now the sour beer blog crew is opening up a new brewery in fact it's open in tap room in central pennsylvania check them out at mellow mink brewing mellowmink.com this is nick from durham north carolina he had written in with a mixed culture drift question so let's address it he said i have a mixed culture that has drifted more and more towards a higher level of acidity than I would prefer, like we've been discussing. The flavors of the culture that I love are still there, but extended bulk aging, like anything more than six months, is making some beers with a pretty low pH. I'm torn because, you know, a little longer aging has produced some depth that I've preferred previously with this culture, but the pH is becoming a problem. Is there a way to prevent the acid-producing bacteria from being so dominant by controlling the fermentation temperature, like cooler? Or is this where blending should be playing a role? Thank you for any insights. What do you guys think? I mean, it's it's definitely hard to bring a culture back from where it's going, right? The initial thought that always pops into my head is like, oh, well, what if we added a few IBUs into this kettle and, and try to at least make the, the lactobacillus less potent. Obviously that comes with the risk of destroying the lactobacillus and not, or not destroying, but preventing any acidification. So I would be nervous there. I think blending sounds like a great idea. Yeah. Playing around with temperatures could be an interesting handle on it too. But if you're, if you're starting to get see souring potentially even post package, you know, it may be a case where temperature on the hot side, uh, or even during the fermentation, it may not be enough to, to mitigate it. I would go with Joey, and you can play with, around with the IBUs. You're risking making the super super lacto that's resistant to hops, so just be careful there. But other than that, um, wet blanket strikes again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, there are just so many little variables that can be tweaked. It's hard to say, you know, which one's the magic bullet. Yeah, good options there. I'd maybe just throw another couple of recommendations on top of those. One would be think about your primary fermentation strain. If you dry out your initial beer a little bit more, then there can be less available sugars for your mixed culture to turn into acid over time. Uh, I like the temperature idea. I'm imagining... Maybe I just assumed this, but I thought this was maybe a homebrew. Uh, yeah, I think it's a homebrew. Yep. So, I mean, when it comes to aging a sour beer at a cool temperature for an extended period of time or adding you know more blending components to your program that's usually not an option for most uh, home brewers so they try and really just nail balance from the start on their sour beers if you have those capabilities and i assume maybe you do because those were your suggestions then great yeah go for that i like the ibu idea 
Um, if we were talking about oak barrels, I'd be definitely talking about, you know, cleaning those out really well from batch to batch to inhibit the culture and essentially just try and really dry it out, increase IBUs, keep acid away from the beer as long as you can. I mean, you can even just put start putting Brett beers into your cellar and then adding a little bit of acid at the end to kind of, to kind of blend to taste. And that's a lot of what we do at the rare barrel. So those would be my suggestions. And hopefully somewhere in there, there's there's something that'll work out for you. But that, that drift is very common across brewers who have gotten to their fifth or so attempt at making sour beer. Sure. So you're not alone. Thanks for the question, Nick. We appreciate it a lot. All right. Should we get to a quick break? Let's do it. All right. We'll be right back on the Sour Hour. Hey, everybody. It's Moscow here. Wanted to let you guys know that longtime BN homie Michael Fairbrother at Moonlight Meadery is having a special sale just for you guys in the BN Army. Right now, you can save 10% on two or more bottles by using code BNARMY over at MoonlightMeadery.com slash shop. If you guys don't know Moonlight Meadery, they make meads for any occasion, and they are the reference standards for mead categories in the BJCP style guidelines. That's right. These guys define the categories pretty much across the boards for meads. They are the best meads on the planet, Moonlight Meadery. So again, you can save 10% on two or more bottles of delicious, terrific, wonderful Moonlight Mead at MoonlightMeadery.com slash shop. Please use code BN Army, let them know we sent you. Show Michael you appreciate them and get some awesome mead to boot. Moonlightmeadery.com slash shop. Use code BN Army. You guys all kind of seem freaky, so I'm playing it. No comment. Very distracting. <laughs> Oregon fruit products. Yeah, we're going lick for lick? How perfect is that? We've got uh, how many sips? There we go. Get to that in a second, because i got to talk about these aseptic purees that are easy to use and convenient to store. I like this part. I never around your ears before I suck up on your neck. Oh, money. Yeah, that's what you'll be screaming. With no additives or artificial flavor, it's simply great expression of the raw fruit. They love working with brewers to help us innovate. Check them out. Fruit for Brewing, Oregon Fruit. They bring fruit to life. Yes, they do. I also want to talk about one of our old favorites, Brew Guru. Oh, the Guru. What can it do for you? It's a great app. Like an effortless effort. Why? Why, Scott? It's been so long. (laughs) Effortlessly find deals. I forgot I... I'm bad at that word. Uh, and save money on beer, food, and brewing supplies. Level up your brew IQ with hand-picked articles, proven recipes, and trusted resources from the American Homebrewers Association and Zymergy Magazine. And use the powerful brewery locator to, found, to find nearby breweries, tap rooms, beer bars, homebrew supply shops, and brew pubs wherever you are. Brew Guru will lead you to good beer. Get the app today. Follow the path of beer enlightenment. It's free for iPhone, iPad, Android devices. Learn more at homebrewersassociation.org. I'm out of breath now. <laughs> Luckily, there's a new beer open over here. Yeah, and in honor of it, I feel like we should... Uh, Let's Mr. bring the guys Cat. in yeah. with this. How many licks does it take to get to the Tootsie Roll Center of a Tootsie Park? How many sips? I don't know. I always end up biting. Ask Mr. Fox, for he's much cleverer than I. Mr. Fox. 
how many licks does it take to get to the Tootsie Roll Center of a Tootsie How many bar? sips? This Why is so old school. Mr. Yeah. Turtle, for he's been around a lot longer than I. Me, I bite. Mr. Turtle, the fox is how many licks does it take it. to get to the Tootsie Roll Center of a Tootsie Bar? I never made it without biting. <laughs> Ask Mr. Owl, for he is the wisest of us all. Mr. Owl. How many licks does it take to get to the Tootsie Roll center of a Tootsie Pop? A good question. Let's find out. One, two, three, three. Three. If there's anything I can't stand, it's a smart owl. There you go. Classic. Does it take three sips to finish this beer? I've I've done one so far, and it's like a third gone, so it stands to reason. <laughs> That was a good lead in there. Thank you. So tell us about this beer, fellas. It's amazing. And I I have a specific reason why I think this beer is a, really a standout. This beer uh, was a collaboration with uh, Hop Culture Magazine. We, we kind of got to know them through various fests that they've invited us to, and we were just hanging out with them. And then they hosted one in Boston, and we're curious if, uh, if we wanted to brew with them, and we jumped at the chance. This was kind of the first iteration of a sour IPA that we tried to do. So I'll tell you about a second beer after this, uh, which was kind of a counterpoint to this this beer. But essentially, this was a 40-barrel batch. And to begin with, we brewed 20 barrels uh, using our Berliner process and kind of let that sour. And then the following day, we came in and we brewed 20 barrels of our standard kind of IPA recipe and, you know, all the all the same timings and everything. And then we moved the Berliner base into a 40-barrel tank. We knocked out this IPA into that same 40-barrel tank, fermented that whole thing with, with brewer's yeast, and then we uh, dry hopped uh, as if it was 40 barrels of IPA and then and then packaged. So it was kind of a, a combination of our the two primary worlds in our brewery uh, colliding. It's funny. That's kind of what I was getting at, which is it's – the acidic part of it is really seamlessly integrated with the IPA and hoppy part of it. And it's, I don't know, I guess it must be hard to do because I, I don't have it often. You know, whenever I have sour IPAs, g- generally speaking, it seems like, you know, I don't know, an IPA that had some acidity shoehorned in there. This is so seamless. It's, um, I don't even know the word for it really, but it's just, it's perfect. It's like, it's supposed to be this. Yeah. It's the epitome epitome, if you will. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah, this is great. And I, how many times have you done this process before this beer? Like the 20 yeah, so, barrels and then the other 20 barrels and then kind of blending them in the dry hop? Uh, so this is actually our first go at it. Now, that's that's a goddamn lie. You liar. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, all right, we make a lot of IPA and we also make a lot of Berliner base. So we kind of just, they were like totally separate ideas in our head, right? And then we then we blended them. I mean, I believe you, but <laughs> I still, I still I'm still going to say it's unbelievable because I think Scott's right on where it's just so well integrated. And the fact that it, it, it just worked out that your both of your processes were so locked in that it was essentially a 50-50 blend of two things that you're just already good at. And, you know, beer doesn't always work out. Uh, that way, I think, and it really did here. This is great. So how, how do you guys approach that part of the problem? Because you, you did say, you know, it, it's, you know, maybe a standard IPA, but do, do you adjust on the hot side from your regular IPA knowing that you're going to go through this kind of unique process? Yeah, being a New England-based brewery, our IPAs do not carry a lot of bitterness to begin with in general. 
that being said, you know, I think that gives a really good base so you don't have that clash of bitter acidity, which I agree with, can definitely counteract each other in a, in a negative way. So you kind of just have this, this canvas with our IPA process that cr- creates a very soft hop character that would mesh well with a slightly lower pH. The other interesting part about this, though, is half of this beer was 3.2 or 3.3 pH in the fermenter, and then we knocked out the other half at 5 pH from the kettle, right? So instantaneously, you're already, you know, it's not a direct average, but you're somewhere between those two extremes, and we never got down to that 3.2 range again. So I think that's probably those two factors coupled uh, is probably where that balance came from. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think it's mm. great. And, you know, we've had now, uh, we didn't spend too much time on the, the hop character of the last beer, but now we've had two sour beers with hops in- integrated into them. First question, and, and then the second one is kind of a, a bigger version of the same question. How old is this beer we're having right now? And then how are you guys seeing hops in your mixed culture beers overall because some of the things i've been most interested in lately are the way that these mixed culture beers can transform hoppy beers not always necessarily as not straightforward but like a tart ipa but just putting more hops late hopping into regular like your regular sour program how are you guys seeing that develop and then Skipping back to my, my first question. This is great hosting right now. Uh, how old is this beer? This uh, How many sips? Three months, actually. Uh, it actually should nice. be on the bottom of the can. A one. Oh, oh wait. I just spilled. Oh, no. I spilled two, everywhere. No, a three. <laughs> three months. And, yeah, Jake spilled all over the board. Uh-oh. Yeah, there is a date stamp, but it's kind of blurry, and I can't really read it. Can you read that? See. Probably. Yeah, I'm a great The golden reader. price was packaged on 10-3. 10, that's, okay, yeah. I thought it said something 10, October 3. Yeah. yeah. And then this one uh, was probably similar. We, we had a release party for it at the end of October. Yeah, 20-something. Gotcha. Like. All right, so we're looking at 24th, about, maybe? October? So three, a little less than three months. Yeah. And and you asked that, Jay, because... Well, because it's, it, it's holding up really well. Mm, okay. Like, what, what would you have guessed, Scott, like, when this was packaged? Oh, yeah, I don't know. Pretty recently, Last week, right? Yeah. yeah. Like, I, I just think it locks in the hops so well. Yeah. And, I, you know, I, I've heard that about Brett, but I don't know. It's just with, with the sour cultures, too, I think it makes a difference. But I don't know. How do you guys experience it across your, your different brands with hops? To us, one of the interesting things is we've done a couple variations of Golden Weiss uh, kind of intermitt- intermittently throughout the years. When when we open some of the fruited Weiss beers later, there is a distinct difference in how that pH is perceived. When we're adding hops, we kind of feel like it mellows it out a little bit more, moves away from kind of the like puckeringly tart or puckeringly sour and moves more towards the tart side. And I don't know if that's the if it is like truly scientific that that is happening or if it is more perception that that is happening. Um, but we definitely see some change in the perceived acidity of the beer. Yeah. And then in, in terms of, in terms of hops and mixed culture stuff, I think that's one of the coolest areas that is still somewhat mysterious you know, you, you read a lot about biotransformation stuff right now with New England IPA yeast and all that stuff. But 
you know, uh, we've made a double IPA wine barrel aged Brett double IPA in, in wine barrels. That was awesome. You think about Anchorage, uh, their bitter monk is fantastic. I think those are really cool in terms of what, what Brett can do to hops. Cause it's sort of, for lack of a better term, brewers yeast on steroids and no one knows what it's going to do. Bitter Monk was definitely my first foray into Brett and hops together and it being really terrific. Yeah, I mean, you think about Orval, and I'm, you know, I, yeah, I don't know uh, Bitter Monk that well, but it, if I was going to guess what beer it was modeled after, or, yes. that wouldn't be a, a crazy assumption. You go and you have it in Belgium, and it's a bitter Belgian pale ale. No Brett character. Mm. Like, seriously, none. Oh, then, Orval is, you mean? Yeah, yeah. and then you tra- it travels across to here. Different beer. And it's always older, and yeah. it's been a little bit warm. And then you have what we think of as Orval, and it's like what we consider the classic Brett beer. And, I mean, I, I'm kind of dumb, so I never really put two and two together. But I'm learning quickly how much an influence hops have in all of these, driving some of the classic flavors that you think of when you think of Brett or Lambic, Goose, things like that. So I'm always interested to hear different different brewers' takes on how, how they're interpreting it and their programs. But, man, this is your first Tart IPA? Just retire. Yeah, you know? go out on top. Yeah, that was cool. And then, and then right after that one, we actually released a Tart IPA that we brewed with New Image Brewing out of Colorado where we did our normal Berliner process and then brought it back into the kettle and boiled it again, but we hopped it like an IPA while I was in the kettle to try to... And then we had both of those beers kind of on tap simultaneously. Hmm. So that was very cool to see, like, kind of the the more intense acid profile of the new image versus this kind of blended up pH of um, how many sips. It was, it, they were cool to try side by side. We ran out of the other one, though. <laughs> <laughs> and what did you guys prefer like if you're you know thinking this sounds like you did a couple of these collaborations but let's say you're going to make these you know kind of on an ongoing basis or people listening are thinking about both of those separate approaches what would you kind of recommend what did you prefer or maybe is it a blend of the two for me personally i think that the new image style where it's one tank that we bring back into the foil kettle and then treat it like an IPA afterwards could give you a more interesting base to then add Brett to or to, you know, bottle condition with Brett and kind of give it the Orval treatment for lack of a better word. But that being said, I, I think upfront and and fresh, I was more drawn towards how many sips. What about you, Maddie? Yeah, I, I really did like the how many sips, but uh, the new image was also equally delicious. I think it's just exciting to be able to have, you know, multiple different processes. You know, the more variables you can play with in the cellar or on the hot side, just I think the more variety and the, and the more almost like texture to these beers you can get. So to me, the more the more processes, the, the merrier. And I thought it was, you know, cool playing around and, you know, just getting weird with the beer for, for lack of a better term and just seeing how you know, how different processes can impact the ultimate product. Awesome. And maybe, uh, you know, I'm, I've gotten too far ahead of myself and just been really excited about these beers we keep opening. Could you guys give us maybe a little bit of a virtual tour of, you know, what the sour program at Night Shift looks like? I mean, we've certainly talked a little bit about things you guys are doing on the hot side, but about like barrels and, you know, what, what percentage of your program is beers that you'd consider in the sour and wild category? So... 
In terms of oak barrels, we actually used to have a much larger program. I think, Jay, when you first came through, uh, might have been the peak. Uh, since then, with expansions, we've actually had to uh, dial it back, and we're trying to take the opportunity to actually make it more accurate. So a little bit less uh, experimental stuff and a little bit more like, oh, this is how we make like that Brett double IPA that I mentioned before, right? Um just because space is be quickly becoming limited, and so we need to have product in barrels that we know we love and that we want to share with the public versus experimental stuff. Yeah. And, uh, you know, a few years ago, we had more space than we knew what to do with, so we could kind of go wild with the barrels, and just it was almost to the point where we'd say, oh, well, we have a brew slot, let's get some, get some oak and play around. We didn't really necessarily have a target in mind, and now we've gone through the motions and We've learned a lot, and, and uh, you know, as Joe said, our, our goal going forward is to try and, you know, while space is more limited with the you know ongoing construction and expansion, to try and dial in the barrel and sour program so that you know we are basically batting at a higher percentage. So we're you know we're you know let's say we do a hundred barrels now, we'd like to be able to count these things eighty of those, you know, whereas before it was like ah let's let's see how it goes, and you know it, it it's never fun to dump dump beer that's been sitting around for a few years so we're just trying to learn what's the right frequency to, to check on these these products and you know what worked well last time and what didn't um and, and part of the challenge here is just lack of climate control too and and there's always you know in the summer it's always trying to tanks are always full and we're trying to make as much product as possible so it's, it's really just challenges carving out the time to to really tend to that to that more exciting program for many of us and then uh in terms of percentage of overall production the Weiss series is probably going to represent between five and ten percent of total total volume. We're shooting, let's see, we're shooting around like twelve hundred barrels is like our projection this year across four different brands. So, depending on how that shakes out and what Night Shift Distributing is seeing the market need and all that sort of stuff, will kind of determine that. Gotcha. That's a pretty robust program. Should we take our show break, Scott? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Can you guys hang on for a little bit longer? Oh, yeah. I hope so, because we got more beers to try. Awesome. Actually, Scott, I have one more thing to do. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> want to thank our great sponsor, Neshamity Creek Brewing. Ah, three, yes. Three times Philly, sorry, with a, you know, just outside of Boston Brewer that I'm talking about. <laughs> Philly here, but three times Philly Beer Scene Magazine Brew of the Year, two times GABF Vienna Style Lager Medal winner. And two bronzes for smoke lager, renovated tasting rooms with a variety of beer styles from hoppy double IPAs to sessionable poundable lagers, to oak fermented saisons and sour beers. Free brewery tours on Saturdays. I'm just going to say third location. Up <laughs> up. Check them out. Probably working on it. Oh, my and, thing's frozen. Yeah, I, I'm there really challenging okay. Scott here. <laughs> uh, but thank you, Scott. Thank you. Did you. a great job. Looking forward to poker. Yes. Thanks to Bevo. How's the online shopping going? She's on the phone. She's literally yeah, on good. her cell phone. You're good. It's all right. It's all right. Don't Thanks worry. to Joe and Matt from Night Shift. <laughs> Thanks to all of our sponsors. We're bringing the guys back in just a little bit. Thanks to all you listeners as well. And until next time, stay sour. One, two, three, three.